to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to another episode on Freshly Forever. Today I have the pleasure of having here with me the amazing Deetra Giles. She is, what can I say about her? Book author, TEDx speaker. She is running a massive HR consulting operations called Execute Prep. And she is, uh, like I said, she is just the guru of it all. And uh, welcome, Deetra, to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate being asked and being with your audience. Oh, excellent. Uh, Can you give listeners an idea of how your journey began in the workplace and how you transitioned to what you do now? Oh my gosh, the journey is so long, but let me give you the the eagle's eye view of it. So I started off my career just really confused like so many people. You go to college, you major in something, you think that's going to be the end, and then you realize that is not even close to the beginning. Uh-huh. And like everybody else, I started off confused and not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be successful. And I got stuck along the way doing some things that I thought I was supposed to be doing to be successful. And then one day it clicked for me. I figured out the key that I had been given was the key to the wrong door. And I began to study people who were successful and realize there is a key to being successful that I didn't have. I studied those people and I began to document their path. And then I realized I can teach this to other people to help them also be successful. And that's how I got here. Uh-huh. Just coaching people and even writing the book, Unstuck, Discovering Career Limiting Actions, helping people figure out how to navigate their careers to get to where they truly want to be. And that's a high level of how I got from undergraduate to running a successful business executive. Oh, Excellent. So I know there's three things your grandma told you to do in your life to be successful. And I know you told us what exactly happened and uh, as far as how you transitioned in your work journey. But I know definitely what grandma told you had an impact in your life as well. Oh, absolutely. My grandmother was such a huge influence on my life. She, One of the things I love that my grandmother taught me was she taught me to be successful while embracing my femininity. Uh-huh. Um, like one thing she did was when her children, she had seven children, when they started having children, she changed her work hours so that we didn't have to go into daycare. And she would be home and she would teach us these very strong things while also helping us embrace the idea of taking care of our family. So I grew up with this knowledge that I could be a successful entrepreneur, businesswoman, while still being a mother and a wife and a caring individual. But I was able to take that into the workplace, too. I didn't feel like I needed to emulate or be like men to be successful. Uh I felt like there was a way for me to be feminine and still be successful. And you can see it in in all the bright colors I wear and my Mm -hmm. glasses and my jewelry. I'm comfortable embracing my femininity while still being a powerful, successful woman. And I learned a lot of that from my grandmother. Oh, you're so vibrant always. And, uh, you know, the short time that I've got to know you, uh, I've just been always, you know, I've seen you exude with vibrant all the time. And what a great life skill grandma taught you right there, you know, as far as work-life balance. So 
how exactly can we define an employeepreneur? I know you give a lot of uh, importance and emphasis to that term. So how can we define that, define an employeepreneur? An employeepreneur is someone that has recognized that their career is a business. When I do these keynotes, one of the first questions I ask is, everyone in the audience that owns a business, raise your hand. And most of the people who have what we call the side hustle, you know, that little thing they do outside of work, the people who bake cakes or sell cookies or make crafts, they raise their hand because they have a business. And what I stop everyone and say is, no, everyone in here owns a business. Mm -hmm. You are a multi-billion dollar organization and your career is your product. And the people that recognize that they should be managing their career like the billion dollar product that it is, those are employeepreneurs. They recognize I'm not just going to work. My boss is my client. And my job is to make sure that my client recognizes the value of my product, which is my career, and they pay me properly for it. And I put it properly in the marketplace. That's an employeepreneur. They recognize that they are a CEO mm -hmm. running a business and that business is called My Career Incorporated. Oh, that, that's just such a, a huge thing when it comes to one's uh, self-esteem in the workplace, I guess. So how does self-esteem matter in one's career development and how does where you are matter to one's self-esteem? Self-esteem is huge. It's paramount in the career development process because if I don't value myself, if I don't hold myself at a certain esteem, I won't ask for my true value. Mm -hmm. If I don't see myself as a person that adds value or is valuable, if I don't recognize how what I do and what I bring to the table impacts my companies or my team's ability to reach their goals, achieve their bottom line, exceed revenue expectations, then I won't ask for my share of that revenue. I can tell you with my background being in HR mm -hmm. that the average employee makes or saves the company two to five times their salary. Well, when I walk in the door recognizing that if I make $50,000, it's very likely that I'm either making or saving the company $150,000, then I negotiate differently. Uh huh. I ask for different things. I'm not as afraid or timid or, or humiliated by asking for my worth. And so the first step in this process of truly running a business is having that self-esteem. Think about it. As an entrepreneur, I'm not timid about asking a company like Cox Communications is one of our clients. I'm not timid about asking them to pay me the value of what it's worth. It's because I have the esteem that says, hey, I know what I bring to the table. And that's the essence of self-esteem. Exactly. Very well said, Dietra. Uh, so how does looking the part become significant amidst all of this? Oh, my goodness. Looking the part is huge. But I often caution people, ask yourself, what part are you looking like? Because we often want to put ourselves in the box of what someone told us we're supposed to look like. I use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. When I went to the same business school as everyone else, I got the same message. You wear black, 
navy blue. And if you're really out there on the edge, you might wear khaki. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, that's not the part I want to look. That's not who I am. The part I want to look is my authentic self. And if who Dietra is authentically in her bright yellow suit or her multicolored suit and her brown colorful glasses, if that's not the part that you want, I don't want to look your part. I want to look my part. Uh So identifying who you are authentically and showing up as that person. That's the essence of confidence and self-esteem because it's difficult to recognize my value when I am consistently showing up as someone else because the value is assigned in who I look like. And if I look like someone else, then do I really value myself? So in a sense, it's very important for someone to own up to what they really want to be versus how they want society to perceive them or rather, you know, succumb to the demands of what society imposes, correct? Absolutely. Because what happens is most often we're trying to fit in instead of finding where we fit. Mm -hmm. And so when we're trying to fit in, we're trying to make ourselves fit into this mold as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm a puzzle piece and I don't need to cut off my edges to fit. There is a puzzle where I am uniquely designed to fit. Let me spend my life searching for my puzzle instead of cutting off my edges. Uh Oh, yes. I mean, doesn't help to uh, shave off edges to make oneself fit somewhere, correct? And uh, I I totally get that. And so how is it that certain positively important factor or factors play an important role or play any significant role in improving one's work situation? So one of the things we have to do is create the positivity that we need. Every day that you walk in is not going to be a great day. People people want to find happiness in external situations. And that's the worst place to look for happiness because external situations are always changing. Mm -hmm. And so positivity has to be an inside job. One of the things I've talked about very recently in keynotes and in conversations and consultations with clients is... This global pandemic we've been in has exposed a lot about people to themselves. People realize a lot of their unhappiness is that they had to be stuck in the house with their bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And when they had to sit with that, hey, I made some pretty bad decisions, career being one of them, they realized, wait a minute. I'm in this house and I don't like my job. I thought it was the commute that I didn't like. I thought that it was my boss that I didn't like. I thought that it was my office I didn't like. And they were working from home in their home office and realized, no, I made a bad career decision. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to begin to step back and say is positivity is an inside job. Let me feel good inside and let that manifest itself on the outside. And when I feel good on the inside, I deserve to have a job that I like. I deserve to have a career that's fulfilling. I deserve to have a promotion. I deserve to get the pay that I know that I value that. So that positivity has to start as an inside job first. Oh, absolutely. Totally, totally uh, resonate with you on that. Uh, So I know we talked about self-esteem. I know we have touched upon positivity. Why even is self-esteem check important? 
with an individual in, and oh, how no, does it play into their career? It plays into everything because if, and, and what it, that self-esteem is also tied to this internal locus of control. How much control do I feel like I have over the situation or how much do I want? But if I don't value myself, I don't think I can have control. If I don't value myself, I let things happen to me instead of making them happen for me. So when I don't have that esteem, I don't go to my boss and say, you know what? I've been working the same job for five years and I haven't had a raise in four of those years. Mm -hmm. I think it's time for a raise. When I don't value or have hold myself in high esteem, I don't feel comfortable going to a division leader and saying, hey, I saw you have a position posted. I think that I'm the most qualified for that position. Would you please consider me? When we don't value ourselves, we don't move the career needle. We wait for someone else to promote us instead of going after the promotions we want. It means everything to your career mm -hmm. to work on your self-esteem. Okay. Uh, so how can one bring out this premium value in oneself? So how do they make it really apparent to their boss or to anyone else at the peer level that, hey, I'm worth premium. So what is it that one should demonstrate or focus on? I focus on the work that no one wants to do. Mm -hmm. This is such this is such a simple secret. It's, it's, it's the hiding in plain sight secret that no one ever talks about. There are important things that no one wants to do and that continuously go undone. Mm -hmm. Your boss has a list of duties. And of the 25 things they want to do, five of them they hate. If you can identify those five things, key in on them, do them and do them well, and make sure, here's the other key, make sure your boss knows that you are doing them and they can see the visible demonstrated value of it. Make it something tangible. For example, if you're in, in finance, your boss hates doing the financial spreadsheets and getting them out to all the divisions. Mm -hmm. Take that on. Save them time. What you're demonstrating is one, I add value. Two, I am capable of performing leadership duties at a higher level. And three, I am of value to not just you, but to everyone in this organization. It's a game changer. One of the easiest ways is to identify a few things that need to be done, but everyone hates doing them. If you do them, it is a clear demonstration of value, if nothing else but to save your boss time, energy, and money. Oh, so then would that be kind of like, okay, make yourself indispensable or... Uh, is that the route to carving, so to speak, a niche for oneself in that organization? Absolutely. You want to show that I have value and that I can see what needs to be done. Because here's what leaders do. As you get promoted in the organization, you're paid to do to solve problems without someone telling you there's a problem. And as an employee, if I can trust you to sit back and recognize that there's a problem without me identifying that problem for you, it's a game changer. Mm -hmm. I can see you in a leadership role because no one goes to the CEO and says, hey, we have a problem. 
we need to make more money in this division. Or, hey, this division is losing money. Fix it. It's the CEO's job to be able to identify that. When you start to demonstrate that level of skill, that level of insight, your how others view you gets elevated. Okay. And so how can one identify, okay, no one else wants to do this. Let me take this up. Uh, but is it like several things that they do at the same time? Or is it not a great idea to be jack of all trades, but then, you know, focus on one thing? Is that is that the message that one should derive out of, out of this, Deetra? Yes, I would say do not be a jack of all trades. Think about it. Let's think about a house, for example. Mm -hmm. Your general handy person that comes and can fix anything, you pay them about $50 to come. Mm -hmm. But when something specific is wrong and you need an electrician, you pay the electrician $200 just to come look at it and tell you what might be wrong. Mm -hmm. And then you pay an additional fee for them to actually fix it. People pay top dollar for specificity. And people pay top dollars for niches. Even think about your car. You can go to a general person, but if you have a premium car, you don't take your your Tesla to the regular handyman around the corner. Mm -hmm. You pay a premium price to go and have Tesla fix your car. Right. So identify that thing that you do or that thing that has the most value. And you'll know what it is because your boss always says, oh, I hate doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish they would give this to somebody else. Oh, my goodness. I, every month I have to do these and I hate them. It's it. They say it audibly. You know what it is. Pick the, it, there are tons of them. Pick one thing and do it well. Mm-hmm. And then go on to whatever else needs to be accomplished from that point on. So probably right exactly. there. Um, again, building a brand for oneself as an employeepreneur or even as a business business person, say an entrepreneur. So I guess this is one of the pathways to that. Is that right? Um, and how can one establish their brand once they start about this goal setting, and then they kind of go about this uh, process of uh, building their uh, specificity and specialty. How can one establish the brand? You gave such a great uh, example that anyone could relate to as far as a daily lifestyle example. But if I know you're such an expert in um, helping people establish their brand. So how is it that we go about that route, Deetra? Absolutely. So first of all, know what your brand is. If you don't know what your brand is, it will be created for you and it will likely not be what you want. Mm -hmm. So for example, I tell people, my brand is transforming lives and changing companies. If it doesn't fit into one of those two things, I'm not doing it because it takes me off brand. Now, there are several other things that I am good at And people want me to do, but if I continue doing what they want, I will not be on brand. So in in the employeepreneur world, for example, I went to my boss and knew there were 10 things that she hated doing that I could take over, but only two of them fit into what was on brand for me. So those were the two that I took on. Even as an entrepreneur, people come at me every day with things that I know I can do 
but I don't want to do because they're not on brand. If I continue doing things that aren't on brand, I won't be specific. And remember, I told you people pay for specificity. I want to be the electrician, not the general handy person that comes in and gets paid 50. I want the 250 just to tell you what's wrong. Right. And so if you continue doing all these little things that aren't on brand for you, you will never get to that specificity, that niche. But you have to first identify what is your brand? What do you want to be known as being the best in the world at doing? Fantastic. So how crucial then is it for someone to get their brand out there? And we live in this world completely controlled by digital media, say solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, and even employpreneurs like there's LinkedIn, there's so much. So how can one get their stuff out there to be recognized by the global audience? It is so important, especially in today's environment where social media is king. The difficult part about social media is that it allows everyone and anyone to be an expert. Mm -hmm. I literally saw someone the other day on social media who I think was about 19 or 20 years old, and they were saying they were the expert in career development. And I was sitting there thinking, how is that possible? You you are barely old enough to work without a permit from your school. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that you are out there? And this person had 10,000 plus followers on Instagram and people liking everything they said. And all they were doing was regurgitating information from other resources. And mm-hmm. so we have to be very careful that, yes, we have to be out in the social media world and we do have to get ourselves out there on this global platform. But we also have to make sure that we aren't spending so much time trying to appear like experts on social media that when it comes down to it, we aren't actually experts. Because while you can appear one way, when a large company calls you and they need something, the people calling you know what expertise actually is. And Mm -hmm. you don't want your brand to get tarnished because you appeared one way, but when it was time to do the work, you actually weren't that at all. Mm -hmm. So right there, authenticity becomes important. And uh, yeah. And as far as, okay, once we know that someone has established their authenticity and someone is trying to get the message out there, I know there are people that probably are not very regular and in keeping up with how they market themselves on social media. And I know you you just definitely have a few things to offer as advice right there. Yes. So here's the thing. I, I'm going to be completely honest with your audience. I Social media is something that I have really just started jumping into because of what I said before. I wanted to make sure that when I hit social media, I was truly able to represent the expertise that I had. I didn't want to be the person that said, hey, I am this great thing and things weren't in place behind the scenes. But when you do it, I absolutely advise everyone to find a social media expert and do a strategy session. Uh-huh. Because again, operate in your expertise. I am a performance management expert. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. 
I am not a social media expert. So I hired someone and said, hey, sit down with me, do a strategy. How do we attack this so that I'm not overwhelmed trying to be in social media, but I'm also getting myself out there to my audience. So it's important that you work with the experts. You're an expert. You want people to work with you. So work with the expert when it's time to do something that's not in your wheelhouse or on brand for you. in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. So demonstrate whatever specialty you have, but at the same time, recognize whatever expertise the rest of the world can bring and offer. Correct. That is something, you know, which is very mutual. Yes, that's great. It's so important because Oh, sorry, because that's how we keep this cycle going. We have to support one another. And if I'm trying to do what you do and you're trying to do what I do, the cycle gets thrown off. Listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I make money doing what I do. But let me put some of that money in someone else's pocket and support them in doing what they do. Exactly. So there's no, you know, jack of trade situation. And, you know, we just recognize what each one brings to the table. Um, so Absolutely. how can- How can someone be sure, having said all that we talked about, how can someone be sure not to get stuck in what they do? I know you have a book out there that talks about all this, and I know it's a wonderful book titled Unstuck. So why don't you tell us about it? And I know you have another one coming, another great book coming. So just tell us about it all, Deetra. So Unstuck is about discovering career limiting actions. When I wrote the book, I was in the midst of working as the um, head of uh, recruitment and retention for a very large organization. It was about I was responsible for about 25,000 employees. And I realized that there were people coming in complaining because they weren't getting promoted and they had all these reasons. But what I realized is that there were some things that they were doing that they did not recognize as career limiting actions. They didn't Mm -hmm. realize that even in my best effort, this is not going to advance my career. And one of them, which comes as a shocker to so many people, and I see great, great, listen to me, great employees do this all the time. If you are irreplaceable, you are unpromotable. Mm-hmm. And people are like, wait a minute, my goal is to be irreplaceable. It's like, no, your goal is to be of value and mm-hmm. priceless, but it's not to be irreplaceable because as a leader, if I can't see anyone being able to do your job, why would I promote you? Mm-hmm. I need you here doing this. And so what I need to do is see that you're excellent and see that you can teach this job that you're willing to show others. And when you show them, they too perform that job excellently. Uh Then I see your value. I see your value as a leader because the real job of a leader is to create other people who can do those jobs well. That's one key. Right. So being able to step back and say, hey, what things am I doing, i.e. I'm making myself irreplaceable, that's actually career limiting for me because that makes me unpromotable. The other thing that people have to realize is that there's a chasm between yes and no. And what we often say, if the answer is not yes, it's no. That's incorrect. 
there is so much available to you between yes and no that you have to be willing to accept and willing to go for, right? Uh-huh. And it's so important for us to be able to recognize that. So I want people to recognize there's a chasm between yes and no and go for it. I can ask for, hey, is this promotion available? Know that promotion is not available, but I'll mentor you so that when it is available, you're prepared, right? Uh-huh. So that's the other thing. We have to begin to recognize in our career those things that keep us stuck. So first thing, if you want to get unstuck in your career, really ask yourself one question. What are the things that I am doing to advance my career? If the answer is nothing, start Uh there. Start doing something. And then two, if the answer is here are the things that I'm doing, ask yourself, are those things really yielding the results I expect? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, let's start doing things differently. Get an executive coach. Executive coaches have one done this for themselves and they have coached so many people to success. Don't mm-hmm. try to do this on your own. Coach. The other thing, which is my second book is called, that'll be out in the spring of 2021. It's mm-hmm. called Breaking Good Habits. What we often don't realize is the good things that we did at this level are not going to make us successful at the next level. And we don't Uh stop doing them. One of the clear visuals I give of that is think about Usain Bolt, Uh fastest man in the world. If Usain Bolt decided to start running marathons and Uh he said, you know what? I'm going to run marathons the exact same way that I run sprints. Uh He would die. The good habits that he has as a sprinter will Mm -hmm. literally kill him as a marathon runner. So Mm -hmm. when we're doing our career and even business, asking ourselves, hey, these were the great habits I had over here. Will those habits continue to yield the same results over here? And many times the answer is no. So first, identify what are the actions you're taking and if they are limiting your career. And then two, asking yourself, what good habits did I have that worked over here that are probably not going to work well over here. Mm -hmm. Oh, I really can't wait for spring to read that book, Dieter. I'm sure that's yet another of your exciting creations. So what is your advice to youth or employeepreneurs or entrepreneurs in terms of time management and prioritization to be able to succeed in their career? So two different groups, the youth, I tell them, try everything. Don't fall into this trap that we have given you of deciding at six years old what you're going to do. We ask six-year-olds, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Seriously? (laughs) We're asking a six-year-old to make a life decision, right? When some of us are 30, 40, 50, 60, and we still haven't figured out what we want to be when we grow up. So Uh try everything. Even if you do know, I have a son and he's like, I want to be an etymologist. He's 13. I'm like, cool. Well, try out law, try out engineering, try out Mm -hmm. these different things, try out veterinary science and see, confirm that's what you want to be. But for us who are already established, when it comes to time management, here is the big thing. Be honest about Mm -hmm. what can actually be done in the time that you have. I see people and they have to-do lists every day that are a mile long. That is not realistic. 
think about it. Realistically, if you're doing things that matter, you can do one, maximum three real things per day. For example, in my business, I do a lot of RFPs or requests for proposals. I can do one RFP per day. If I have a list of mile long, I'm setting myself up for failure. Be realistic mm-hmm. about what you can accomplish and do the most important thing. Prioritize and make sure you're on the calendar. That means have an end of your workday. Working all day is not effective. My workday ends at five o'clock. At five o'clock, I shut it down. I go do the family thing. I cook. I eat with my family. I enjoy my life. So be realistic about what can actually be accomplished in the time you have and have a shut down time. That's the best way to manage it. Oh, absolutely. And what is your advice um, as far as work-life balance now that you brought about that wonderful aspect of shutting down? And as a takeaway from this show, what would you like for listeners to hear from you? I tell people that I don't believe in work-life balance. And that's crazy. People are like, what? (laughs) I believe in work-life alignment, right? My life is aligned with my work. My because I and my life comes first. People will say work. No, my life comes first. I am doing this. I run a business so that I can live the life that I want and that I want for my family. So mm-hmm. I make sure that my work and my life are aligned. I don't do anything that puts me out of alignment, which means I'm not going to do work that makes me that takes me away from my family. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do work that says you have to work. 15, 20 hours a day to get it done. That doesn't align with how I want to live. Now, if you are the person and you want to work 20 hours a day that you are passionate about working 100 hours a week, then find work that aligns with your life. But look for work-life alignment. Find work that's in line with your values and your vision for yourself and your family. Put those first. So when I look at my company's values and our Mm -hmm. mission and our vision, I'm starting off with the values I have for my family and I make sure those two are aligned. And when they are aligned, there's never a conflict. Oh, uh, excellent perspective, Deetra. I know right there, if someone is overworking and burning themselves out, then that means uh, based on what you have said all this time here on the show, right there, I feel someone hasn't built their brand right and it's time to revisit it. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Because when your brand is right, people won't even ask you to do things that don't aren't our brand. I'll give you an example. Once a a friend of mine came to me and they said, oh, Deetra, I had this opportunity. It was wonderful. I know you would have been great for it, but I didn't even ask you about it. And I Mm -hmm. said, well, why didn't you ask me? And he said simply, I it's not on brand for you. It was a position that was six months in living abroad, but I couldn't take my family because I, I love living abroad. I did a semester abroad. I love, I am an, I am an international citizen. Um, mm-hmm. And But he said, I didn't ask you about it because it would have taken you away from your family for six months. And I know that's a no-go for you. And so what you recognize is when you're on brand, opportunities that aren't on brand, that don't fit your values, that don't create that alignment, don't even come your way because people know, hey, this is not what she will do. Oh, absolutely. So just be firm in what you want to do and how you handle it. And right there is uh, 
that perfect alignment lesson that uh, you have taught us, Deetra. Such a pleasure having you on the show, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure so many listeners out here, uh, you know, were freshly forever. It's a global audience uh, on this podcast, and they're all going to be thrilled hearing. And uh, I'm sure many, many people are going to be waiting for your next book, Breaking Good Habits, which is potentially coming out in the spring. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I look forward to having you back again in the future to talk about many, many more of your specialties. Have a great, absolutely excellent uh, 2021. And uh, just definitely would like to have you back here. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Vi. And thank you to your audience and wishing everyone an amazing, overwhelmingly prosperous 2021. Oh, thank you, Deetra. I'm sure each one of you listening here on Fresh Leaf Forever found that conversation as enlightening as I did. Keep sending me your feedback at Fresh Leaf Forever on Instagram, Fresh Leaf Forever at gmail.com and subscribe to the podcast. Follow the podcast as always. Keep spreading the good news about it. And you can follow our guest, Deetra Giles, at Dietra.giles on Instagram. That's D-E-T-H-R-A dot G-I-L-E-S. And I'll make sure to include her websites on the show notes. Tune in, folks, once again next Tuesday for fascinating insights with yet another guest. And I promise it's always a fresh leaf forever here on this show. Take care now.